When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Humans of Speedway. I'm Ian Brannan. I'm very excited to share with you this episode with somebody who has achieved everything there is to achieve, really, in British and world speedway. He has been the British Under-21 champion, the European Under-21 champion, twice British champion, Premier League riders champion, overseas champion. He's even been the South African champion, and he's been world champion. One of the legends of British speedway, certainly a legend of the Bradford Dukes and somebody that I watched week in week out uh, going to Odsal and he's got so many great stories to share with us and it's going to be a great hour or so because he's also going to choose his all-time one to seven and uh, create his own dream meeting as well and of course not least talk us through that 1992 season where he climbed to the pinnacle of world speedway and welcome along then to humans of speedway the first world champion to make the podcast it is Borough legend, Gary Havelock. <laughs> First world champion, yay. Uh, I know, I know. Well, Egon Muller was going to do it, and then he's gone quiet. So, uh, really? Ah, well, yeah. see, Mr. Boy, he knows, he knows. Anyway, here you are. So, good times. Um, how are you anyway? 2020 has not been the greatest year uh, speedway-wise, I think it's fair to say, but uh, what have you been up to? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. I mean, I uh, um, obviously got the got the gig with Paul as sharing the team manager job with Midlow. Um uh, probably around about Christmas time, and uh, so I thought, well, January, and February, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna hibernate because it's always cold and miserable up here in, in January, and February. So I thought I'm gonna hibernate, not go out, not, I'd try not to spend any money, try not to do anything. So I had two months of lockdown before everybody else had it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, uh, yeah, everything's good. Everything's everything's good. Yeah, still breathing. And um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned that that job with with Pool. Obviously, you, you would have been looking forward to that. And and what sort of plans did you have? I mean, and with Pool as well, the, there's been the situation with uh, with the stadium too. I mean, is there any sort of further update you've heard on on what's going on there with regards next year? No, there's nothing. Um, there's nothing um, that I've heard any more than what's been put out in the press. I think um, 
Um, going back to um, um, you know the job in the first place is um, when Matt called me. He sort of caught me by you know um, off guard. I wasn't I wasn't expecting him to say what he said by by a long shot, you know. And um, I was like, yeah. And he was like, what? I said, yeah, I'll do it. And he was like, well, I haven't told you all about it. I said, we haven't even talked about money yet. And I was like, I don't, mind, I don't, I don't care, I'll do it. Um, because uh, to me, it was, um, I've been sat around for a, for a couple of years, twiddling my phone, I'm not doing that, you know. And um, um, when you see Speeder on the telly from from um, British racing all the way up to, to GPs, and, and I watch the Polish League a lot, and... Um, I see a lot of people, you know, have got a lot of jobs in Speedway, um, and I'm sat on the sofa twiddling my thumbs, um, you know. Uh, but that's the way it is. I guess that's the way it was. So for for, for Matt to call me, um, that was a real boost, uh, you know, because pretty pretty much, ironically, you know, Matt could have asked anybody in the country, need the world, to be his team manager, and. Uh, Every single person would have jumped at the chance, you know. Um, but he didn't. He called me, um, and to me, that's it's a massive thing, you know. I've always had a big, uh, obviously not always, but since I since I raced, uh, big affinity with Paul. And uh, Matt, Matt gave me my farewell meeting there, and uh, you know, uh, him and myself and, and, and Midlow and a lot more people down there uh, have kept friends, and uh, you know, it was just really nice for Matt to. Um, you know, Midlow was coming to a stage of his life with them dropping down into the Premier League where he just couldn't do it all, not all the away ones, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, ideally, it was it was perfect, really, because um, I said, yeah, I, I just, I said, look, I don't want to step on anybody's toes. In fact, I rang Neil about a few days later and just spoke to him about it because I didn't know what stage he was at or anything. And I just said, look, I don't want to stand on anyone's toes. I said, you do. Whatever you want to do, I said, and I'll do what's left over. Yeah, oh, that and sounds good. Like, yeah, and he was like, nah, yeah, probably, he'll probably end up like me doing most of the away ones and he'll do most of the home ones. But, you know, I'll get to as many home ones as I can, if I can. And, yeah. um, you know, it'll just be nice. It'll be, it'll be nice, uh, hopefully, <laughs> yeah. next year if it happens, to, um, to get back involved, you know. No, I mean, it'd be great to see you around the sport again as well, and I'm sure everybody would uh, mm. would look forward to to your involvement for sure. Um, let's go back to the very start of your your career, though. I mean, where? I mean, usually I ask how did you get involved in Speedway, but it's not really a relevant question for you because I think we can all guess how uh, how you how you ended up being yeah, in and around yeah. Speedway because your your dad was uh, a prolific rider um, first first off, and and yeah. um, you you were probably brought up in the pits, were you? Uh, not so much in the pits as in the in the field, really. Because um, <laughs> my, my dad, did, my dad didn't start, um, didn't actually start speedway until he was twenty nine. Really? He, uh, yeah, really. He he started off by riding trials. Wow. And then he went from trials and to scrambling, which is now on motocross. Yeah. Uh, from there, he went to grass track, and then uh, he didn't start speedway till yeah till twenty nine. So, oh, I can never remember his motorbikes and. Um, you know, I think for my dad as well, especially, you know, the fact that um, he wasn't able to start until such a late age, I guess, that, you know, um, his career as in such was, was, was in effect over before he started, if you, if, if, you, if you see what I mean. Um, 
Whereas with me, he, um, you know, I think he'd get the chance to, uh, you know, relive his, relive his career that he that he didn't have. And, um, you know, in, in a lot of cases, when you see that, it doesn't work because you see this, the fact the son doesn't, clearly doesn't want to be there. And um, it's the father who's the driving force behind everything. And, um, mm. you know, that never works. I've seen it in... in in uh, you know junior racing a lot and um, not just in in motorbikes either. I guess that's in a lot of sports. You know, the parents try and really for the kids. But uh, with us, it was different because that's exactly what I wanted as well. You know. Yeah. So although my dad pushed my hat, pushed me hard, uh, that was fine because that's what I wanted as well. So um, you know, like I say, my, my earliest memory is is of uh, seeing my first motorbike. One of my earliest memories, my dad. Bought me in this shining uh, orange, twenty-five cc Italian little like pit bike thing called an Ital Jet, and uh, yeah, that was my first. I, I actually learned to ride a motorbike before I learned to ride a push bike without stabilizers. If that makes sense. That's um, that's, that's sort of uh, the way to learn, though, isn't it? You know, it is. It <laughs> absolutely is. But you look at you look at all sports now. You know. Um, I guess you could call it the Tiger Woods phenomenon. You know, he'd been swinging a club since he was two years old, and um, you know, mm. just by the law of averages, by the time you get to 18, 19, 20 years, you're going to be freaking good. Yeah, whether you're going to be good enough, that's another another point altogether. But you're going to be very good anyway. And um, you know, I think that's really the way. I don't think you're going to get many top sportsmen who. who have took up a sport at say fourteen or something like that, should we say? Um, you know, um, I think now a lot of it's, it's it's the ones who were born born into certain sports. You know, mm-hmm. uh, who are going to rise to the top. And it is a sport that you, obviously you, you were born into. I mean, was there any ever uh, any doubt that you would get to the top or, or you you would be a professional speedway rider? Was there any other sort of backup plan or or was speedway always going to be the thing that that you were going to be going into? Oh God, no, no, no! I uh, ever since ever since I can remember, um, like I say, my earliest memories uh, was that you know I was going to be the world speedway champion. Um, you know, that was, later on in my career, I went to see sports psychologists and people like that, and a lot of the stuff that they're trying to they're, they're trying to teach the sportsmen is stuff that I was doing on my own as a kid. You know, like I say about visualization, and all, I used mm. to learn about every single night. Dreaming yeah. about being a speed rider and dreaming about being the world champion, you know. How did that uh, look in your mind when you when you were dreaming about it? Uh, what, what? It certainly didn't look like it did when I did it. That is, <laughs> uh, I guess you you try and um, uh, build up as many scenarios uh, in your head as you can, and um, you know, like say if you speak to more sportsmen who've got to the very top, they'll they'll say. Um, when it happens, it's, I don't know, for me, it was more like a spiritual ex- experience, you know. Hmm. I wasn't, if you watch me when I go over the line, I wasn't even punching the air. You, when I rode, like, I did like a lap of the track before, I did be lap of one, and I was just like, <laughs> just like, have my head down at the handlebars, just, yeah, it was, um, 
it was very strange and uh, very nice. Obviously, we're going to talk more uh, about that um, a little bit later on, the, the 1992 season uh, and, of course, becoming world champion. But when did it really begin for you on the track, though, in terms of, of racing? When did you start uh, competing? I started racing juniors um, when I was about seven or eight. Um, so from three till about seven, I was just going with my dad and riding around the interval and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Then from about seven eight, I went into juniors, but there was no junior speed right then, so it was junior grass track. Yes. Um, then I won won two British championships in that in nineteen eighty one and nineteen eighty two. If it was nineteen eighty three, I decided that I didn't want to go up into the, to the last class. There was like five classes in the juniors, yeah, different ages and different bike sizes and that. Um, I didn't want to go into the to the top class, so I um, uh, I said I just want to get a speedo bike and uh, and uh, you know. Just go riding in the interval and stuff where my dad, wherever my dad's racing. So for about the last year, that's what I did, and uh, um, pretty much when it come to well, actually, uh, when my 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 birthday is in November, right, fourth fourth of November, I'm born, and uh, unfortunately, um, so coming up to my sixteenth birthday, fourth um, of November, that's end of season's finished. So I would have had to wait it all the way through till the next season, which was 1985. So what we did, when he applied for my license from the um, Spirit of Control Board, he put down that my date of birth was the 4th of September, 1968. Oh, right. So they gave me a license in, in September when I was still only 15. And Oh, wow. <laughs> in 1984, at the end of the season, if you look at them, I actually won the Suffolk, let me get this right, was it? Suffolk Junior Open Championship at Mildenhall in 1984 when I was 15 and ran illegally. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't say that too loud. I, mean, I don't want them well, coming taking world titles off you and stuff. What are they going to do with me now? <laughs> <laughs> I, think the, I think the house is bolted with that one night. <laughs> but I, I don't think, I think there are stories of other riders doing similar, aren't they? I yeah, think, it, you yeah, know, it's happened yeah. before. Definitely. Oh, God, yeah. And I mean, I'd, obviously back then they didn't ask for, for, for anything that um, could, you know, uh, I guess um, verify the date of birth. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I know as, as, as I rode on when I was applying for, like, international licenses and stuff like that, I put my date of birth down properly as November. So yeah. I don't know when I – I don't know when we decided that my birthday had changed. But, uh, probably, after your, probably after your birthday. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but when it came to the, the Middlesbrough Tigers, you, your dad was the, the team manager there as well, wasn't he? He was team manager, yeah. And um, that didn't actually last that long because um, about half through the first season, he resigned because of um, um, there was a bit of unrest in the team and there was like niggles and like, people were saying that uh, I was getting uh, favouritism and that. It wasn't that. It was just the fact that he had a reserve. It was fucking flying. And could get double figures, and why would you not give them six or seven rides everywhere you went? Yeah. You know what I mean? But there was a couple of the older guys in the team who thought it was uh, favoritism. So he said, I'll stick it with your ass, and I'm not doing it anymore. And uh, he just came with me then. It surely can't be favoritism if you're scoring the points. I mean, no, it, it you know. clearly wasn't favoritism, <laughs> but, you know, he caught me that company. He said, that can't be after the sniping and sniding. Yeah. He said, get on with it. <laughs> So um, that was what 1985 or it so. It was indeed 1985. Yes. 
And then um, what happened then after with, with regards deciding to go to Bradford? Because were there, were there choices to be made? or Yeah, there was. Obviously, um, after we were seriously thinking about going to, into the top league after one year. But, um, you know, I had a couple of offers and stuff. But, you know, we, we sat down and thought about it. And we thought, you know, I'll just get, I'll have another, another year of... Um, of uh, National League, it was called then. Mm-hmm. One more year of National League, you know. And, and looking back, I'm glad I did. Yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't have been ready for the top league uh, then. Um, but at the end of that 1986 season, uh, obviously we had decision to be made. And uh, uh, one of the main um, the main advantages, shall we say, um, was the fact that at the, at the time, all uh, nearly all World Championships, Big world championship events on, held on the continent and stuff were all on big tracks, and uh, the old Middlesbrough was a little was a small track. It was what you call a, a technical track, you know, mm-hmm. probably about the size of uh, Oxford. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and bumpy. <laughs> so it was like, um, if you seriously want to be world champion, you really need to, to to get good at riding fast on big tracks. Yeah. Because believe it or not, there is actually. Uh, to ride really fast on a small track, what I call a technical track, you know, Wolverhampton, Longstreet, tight corners, whatever, um, is a completely different technique to riding really fast on a big track. And what would be those differences then to, to, to you, um, to, so in, in sort of layman's terms? In and... layman's terms, the main, the, the main differences are that on your small, tight technical tracks, uh, the more you've, more you've ridden on them, the more laps you've got around there the better you are because you can work out what you call the angles. So for them small tracks, a lot of the riders can't can't turn tight enough to get around so you know they're going to drift out. So you go in wider, turn back, you've worked out all the angles. Um, whereas um, on a big fast track, it's basically just full gas and and um, usually he who got the biggest balls uh, and who can ride nearest to the to the fence uh, goes the fastest and um, yeah it's basically it's basically like yeah the, the, the small technical track it's it's all about angles and, and uh, you know you don't actually get up to that much of a uh, I mean round, round Wolverhampton I don't think you'd probably be doing much more than about 55 down the straight at the end of the straight even there you know mm-hmm. whereas uh, you take it all the way up to long track where the same engines can be doing over 100 mile an hour Thing that makes you fast on a small track, your ability to turn the bike tight and make those angles, is the exact opposite on a big fast track. So you come in the corner and you turn really hard, and you still got three quarters of the corner to go. <laughs> so on a bigger fast track, it's all about keeping your wheels in line and trying to keep the bike in a straight line and keep it upright as much as you can, and not even to, to you know, it, it looks somewhere like Big Gosh, who's a little bit like a Sheffield or Somerset, you know, or Peterborough. Short straights, big sweeping bends. Yeah. Um, and on them sort of tracks, you don't really ever, ever want to be locked up. Because if you're locked up, you're, going, you're scrubbing the speed off, you know. You need you need to let the bike go, keep your wheels in line, and, and try and build your speed up. And uh, it, it is two distinct, different techniques. And so Bradford, obviously, um, very big track, and also a track that had uh, you know a lot of international events. Had the nineteen eighty five World yeah. Final, of course, and yeah. the nineteen ninety World Final, and yeah, and... yeah. Well, obviously, at the time, it had only had the eighty five one because we were talking at the end of eighty six here. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, it was 
we sort of said we should, you know, maybe think about Bradford. It was one of the nearest, well, it was the nearest one in the top league to be home as well. Yeah. It was only an hour away. Um, and yeah, we, we got the got the deal done and, and ended up going time for Bradford. And and how was that at that time though? Because obviously there'd been the um, the move for Halifax to Bradford, so it was relatively you know his new team uh, yeah, yeah. there, and obviously the the aftermath of of uh, the Kenny Carter yeah, tragedy yeah, as well, if, yeah. if we call it that. I mean, did you feel sort of any pressure, um, sort of a, you know taking a spot in that team at, at that level at that time? No, no, not really. You know, my whole career, I never ever really ever felt any extra pressure from anybody other than, that was any higher than the pressure I used to put on myself. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. So uh, it didn't really matter what other people said to me because uh, in my mind, you know, I was, I was, um, you know, telling myself and trying to, um, you know, tell myself that I was going to win anyway, like, like most guys do, you know, you don't turn up there to, to, to get three points on a night, you know, you, to, to get a maximum and um, you know back to the Eric thing again <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, well I was saying that we, we're going to play some clips from it uh, okay. <laughs> but um, w- w- you know on that uh, one note I did make was this was this yeah. documentary you did in 1993 yes. uh, while you were racing at Bradford and um, sort of following you and a few of the other riders well, around Paul Bentley gets his cock out <laughs> yeah, he does. He does. Yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he thought he'd be one chance for, for yeah. stardom. And that's all people remember him for. I don't all remember him for, but that is one of the things they remember him for. It takes some good stuff, doesn't it? <laughs> well, do it does. Yeah, TV, national yeah. TV. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> probably pushed it back beyond nine o'clock as a result. Yeah. But you know, um, but but at the start of that, you say um, in this sort of monologue you're doing about yeah. why, why you're in Speedway, yeah. and your um, line was that you don't do it for the money, you do it mm. for the adrenaline, and you do it to win. Mm, yeah, yeah, that that was my whole career. You know. There's, some some riders who some riders who you can tell there's some riders uh, and I'm not mentioning any names but some riders I've ridden with over the years it, it's all being about the money you know yeah uh, well was, for me it was about the uh, like I say the adrenaline of actually racing and also the you know the um, the passion of winning things you know winning is the greatest drug on the planet you can't I, I tell the young lads all the time you can't. Unless you've done it very much, you can't begin to imagine how, how amazing it is. And then, um, you know, I'm like that with everything. You know, I'm not just speedway. I was like, if I was playing cards or darts or anything, you know what I mean? Mm. I wanted to desperate to win. And, um, yeah, <laughs> it's a trait of it's a trait of a champion, though. You know, and I, I've I spoken. So. I think yeah. certainly in, in um, if to, I'd have someone um, ring up and disagree with me about this, but I think. I was good at speedway, probably at the worst time financially in the history of the sport for being good in speedway because, you know, um, five, ten years earlier, it was still like sort of late 60s into the 70s, you know. Uh, we're still on World of Sport on a Saturday afternoon. And, yeah. You know, uh, you, then when I was really good, there was nothing. No TV, no nothing. You know, to, to just try and go and get sponsors and stuff, it was just so hard, it was ridiculous. And then, obviously, '99, Sky really became involved in uh, in uh, filming British Speedway, and uh, you know, obviously, the, the 
the chance then, obviously, you've got much more chance of being able to go out and sell yourself, you know, obviously, when you've got TV time. Um, so, yeah, I, I was unlucky on that point, but then again, I guess I'd rather have been a world champion at the worst time than not to have been world champion at all. Well, that, that you know, that was that yeah. was your time, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. you, you know, um, you, you you did it um, regardless of what was thrown at you. I suppose mm-hmm. you can always look at it that way. And um, I mean, what was it like when you when you first came to Bradford to race? I mean, obviously it was a very big track, a relatively new track in the league, although not not a new track in Speedway because it was around in the nineteen fifties and, and so on. But no, 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 that's you know, right. it was back, it, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it wasn't too bad actually, because uh, you know, if I think if I'd have been going up to the top league with a, like a really famous established club like a Bellevue or something you know I might have been a bit more pressure but um, the one and only thing that well not the one only but one of the major things I got with riding 10 years at Bradford was that Bradford unfortunately it's not a speedway town mm. and uh, no matter how much it just proved in, in 97 our final year where we did win the league um, the crowds are up a little bit but you know 1500 was still the top crowd. Um, whereas back in the in the 70s at, at the old Shea in Halifax, it used to get seven, eight, ten thousand there. Yeah, oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Halifax was a speedway town, you know, you, you get them up and down the country, you know, uh, Pearl's one, for example, and uh, Halifax was, was another. And um, I think a lot of the Halifax fans wouldn't go to watch Bradford just because it was, you know the next town or the next city over whatever and uh, maybe if you look back maybe in the 50s and 60s maybe it's the race each other I don't know I'm not a, a spirit historian but uh, no and the fact that the stadium was so big and vast as well at Odsall mm. uh, so you could have 1500 people in there and it would, would be like the equivalent of of, of 500 somewhere else because it held 35,000 people oh yeah and the rest you know, yeah so <clears throat> I'm surprised 1500 was the top crowd at Bradford. Yeah, well, right? I wouldn't say it, was, it would have been the top crowd, but it was the average. I, I bet if you average my whole years I was there, I bet we did. I bet there wasn't a year when we averaged many more than 1500, even the year we won the league in '97. Yeah, I think that towards the end apparently it was because we did one with Neil Machin, and I think he was okay. there on the last uh, on the last day, and he was saying the crowd I think on the last day was something like 600 at Bradford. Yeah, yeah, I would be surprised. But the big thing was that our land was trying to bullshit the whole of Speedway by saying, oh, we're only closing for like a year, two at the most, um, because they're doing a big refurbishment on the stadium and uh, then we're going to we'll be back. We'll be back. Mm. Um, well, there, there was never any plans to do a refurbishment of the stadium. Because that was the thing, wasn't it? They, they, they went, you know, towards the end when it was closing, they were going to they were going to turn it into a, a Superdome, yeah, yeah, as it well, was that's, described. That's, and... that's why you would have only had 600 people at the last meeting, because it would have been some Mickey Mouse Open meeting. Yeah. And uh, it would have been freezing cold, and everyone would have been going, bollocks, I'm going to that. But if they'd have thought that it might have been the last ever, ever speed of meeting there... Oh, yeah, it would have been a lot more popular. You could have probably put another note on that. Yeah, you know? easy. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think I went to the '85 World Final. I think that was mm-hmm. the first time I went there, because I was, I was still fairly young I at the time. I was programme. Were you? Yeah, was a picture of me as like a, as a sixteen-year-old junior saying, "Possible future world champion." <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. There's some cine film on. Right. Um, I think it's the Yorkshire Film Archive. Okay. 
and um, and, and it's 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 not like professional professionally shot, but it's cine film okay. that's that somebody shot of the '85 World Final, oh, like and that. it's it's incredible. Um, it really? Because the stuff that uh, that happened that you would never yeah. never ever remember, and like right. they they <laughs> they had like um, a guy who was like a stunt rider. Okay. Come out on the centre green, and he and he goes over on a ramp like Evil Knievel over the top of like a a Ford right. Cortina or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like all this razzmatazz. Okay, um, I, but it's I worth there. looking. I don't out. remember that, like. Yeah, well, I, yeah. I, it was very hazy for me. I know that I there was, was a lot only, more I, going I was, on, but I it's... was already sat in the crowd like everybody else. But yeah, I mean, Bradford started off um, obviously as a new team, but you know, transported over from from Halifax, they had a bit of momentum, but it, it wasn't very long before Bradford started uh, bossing things and and were really kind of starting to command the various tournaments and, and leagues and, and cups and so on. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you look, uh, if you look in, um, it would have been from about 90. Yeah. 95, I would say. We won, we won like the knockout cup like three, three or four times. We were like the cup kings. We got to the final like six times or something. Won it four times and then we won the gold cup twice. And, um, so we sort of, we, we we established ourselves, I believe, uh, uh, in the early nineties. You know, yeah, and, definitely. Uh, to be fair, we always had a good team. We always had a good team uh, at home, especially. You know, we looked the riders who'd been through there, like Calvin Turton, Simon Wig, Joe Green, Jimmy Nielsen, Sean Wilson, um, uh, Wiggy. I think I said Wiggy already. You know, yeah. Um, Paul Thorpe. Yeah, yeah. Totally Sean sure. Wilson. Mm. Yeah. Mm. We always had a good team, and. Uh, yeah, I think I would like to say that the combination of that was winning the league in '97, uh, when it was uh, me, Screening and Lauren with the Heelys, the three British, the probably like the three of the best British lads at the time. So oh, it was nice to do it that way, you know. We were a solid team on the track. I mean, off the track, what was the team spirit like? I mean, because obviously that's a, a huge part of it as well. The bit that you don't see is you know how the the team get on in the pits and uh, and in the changing rooms and so on. You don't win that with a shit team spirit. Yeah, and uh, literally they all say one egg can spoil the basket, and, and it literally it can. Um, you can have six really good lads in the team who all get along on that, and you only need one one rotten apple, and he'll spoil it for everybody. Mm. Um, if you're going to win stuff, you need to have you need to have a good team spirit. And so, what are your sort of um, favourite memories of, of, like, particularly riding for Bradford then at that oh, time? I mean, what, what's what's the sort of standout, um, you know, matches or, or races that sort of come to mind? You know, of of of, of that place. God knows. You must have loads. Obviously, like. riding there ten years, <laughs> it was there was a lot. Um, do you know, I never ever won an open meet now of any of any type. Did you not? No. Even though, even when I won the world final that year, the world semi final, I'd run off a pair and he and passed me <laughs> on my own track. <laughs> I was fucking devastated. <laughs> well, there's always that pride, though, isn't there? I suppose that you know, when it's your own track, I suppose you, you don't oh, want to get yeah, beaten. Yeah, I mean, over the years, uh, with the type of riders we've had there, obviously, with you, you're talking about your your long track specialists like Wiggy and Tatum, and then you've got. You know, people like Sean Wilson who went on to be the king of Sheffield. You know, big fast track, and we, we, we were all we always wanted. We always wanted a load of grip on there. You know, we always wanted as grippy as we could get. And um, for a few years, it was quite wavy down the straights. Like, and, and and it really freaked a lot of the away riders out. They'd come there and they'd see it, and, and the banking was really steep. Did you ever actually go down on the track? 
No, no, but I know it's it was okay, um, well. it was banked along a, a lot of banking. I went down to the to the fence at the top, yeah, yeah. so you yeah. see how far down it is. Well, the um, turns one and two were, were had quite a bit of banking, but they were like normal banking. So they have, um, you know, where it cameras off. We, we call it cameras off, and like most tracks have a bit of banking in. When they get to about the last meter, two meters from the fence, the banking levels off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can't really ride on it. Um, and turn one and two was like that, but turn three and four was banked all the way to the, to the bottom of the fence. So literally, you can ride six inches from the fence. And um, if you went, this, I'll tell you how banks turn three and four were at Bradford, right? If you went, uh, if you walked out on the track in the middle of turn three and four, yeah, and went stood stood on the uh, on the curb, on the inside curb, yeah, the bottom of the fence was about three foot above your head. That's uh, that's quite a way up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that was how steep the bank was at Bradford, and uh, like I say, we always wanted it really grippy, and uh, it, it freaked a lot. It did freak a lot of the away riders out, you know. And they were beaten before they came. We used to like make jokes and stuff like that, so it was uh, it was all good, you know. Yeah, I know it's been mentioned. I think somebody else mentioned before, like going to Bradford and and yeah. being being sort of defeated before you'd yeah. you'd started just because of the imposing nature of the size of the track and all the rest yes, of it. Yes, totally. Yeah, yeah. And then they go for the track walk and it's digging the foot in and it's deep as hell, you know. And like, <laughs> oh god. And uh, it was great because you just they were beat before I started. Um, you know, most teams when it was like that, the away teams come. Uh, if they had two riders who could ride it, they were doing well. Usually the away teams had one guy who'd have a go, like the number one, and the others were just, you know, mm. <laughs> scraping for seconds and thirds. But, um, nah, it was great, great times. You know, it was a tear in my eye when that place closed down because obviously I knew what other people didn't know, you know. And, uh, mm. Yeah, it was a big part of my life. Talk, though, of it coming back, though, uh, next yeah, year, I think. You not reckon? It's the it's the rugby league version of the BSBA that owns the stadium, and they they yeah because the um, the Buffalo Council gave it to the Bulls for one pound after we after we left, and then the Bulls then went and went fucking bust. <laughs> yes, and the um, the rugby league uh, BSBA people bought the stadium, and I think they are keen to have it. Obviously. If you own a stadium, you'd want it, you know, every night, wouldn't you? If you could, um, but like I say, as far as speed rate is concerned, without a lot of money, I can't see it, uh, or without a, a really shitty track. And like you know, bringing somewhere back with a really shitty track, I don't know, I don't know. If I had to bet, if I had to bet, I'd bet that it doesn't happen. Well, that's the thing, I suppose, isn't it? We want it. Uh, we want the the same memories as we had, I suppose. And you wouldn't want it to be a, a half measure. We'll find out in in fullness of time, and, and fingers crossed for it, of course. Uh, this is Humans of Speedway. I'm Ian Brannan. Welcome along, my guest in this episode, Bradford Duke legend, world champion in 1992, Gary Havelock. And uh, we're going to be talking about his time at uh, some other clubs like uh, Pool and uh, management with Coventry. And he's also going to choose his all-time one to seven and build 
Aldi's perfect dream speedway meeting in just a bit as well. So stick around for that. Right now, though, I want to turn our attention to that season, 1992. Uh, obviously, it was a big one. You became world champion. And I know that you've said in other interviews that uh, you feel that in 1992, regardless of how the world championship was decided and it was a one-off world final for you but even if it was a GP or however they decided it uh, it would probably have come down to between one of two riders you or Per Jonsson in that year you, you felt that between you you were just um, a, a level above everybody else I had the main player yeah yeah, and I, and I really don't think I'm being um, being saying crazy things by saying that you know um, I top scored in every round I went in so I either won it or I had a runoff to win it um, and um, I think Per did very similar uh, along his route um, and then obviously we came first and second um, the World Pairs final long ago I think I got paired 17 and then Per got about 16 um, all through the year we were we were head and shoulders above above the rest I believe and what was the difference in that year? I mean, you, you got off to a great start, but I mean, was was there anything that you changed about your your sort of setup that year, or were you just sort of fired up for it and, and just on a winning streak and and keeping it going? I think where it, where it changed massively was um, obviously going to Bradford and riding with Neil Everett, who was who was um, you know the captain, and he was also did his own engines. So getting to know Neil quite a bit, and then the one time he said, "Give me one of your engines, Avi." I'll make it go faster. That's I give the engine to him, and uh, he made it go a lot faster than uh, than it had been going. So I was like, "Okay, oh, yeah, that's cool." And then we got to the point uh, towards the end of um, probably was it uh, halfway through the '91 season. Went and got some engines from Germany, from uh, because although Neil Evans was a uh, suppose engine tuner, he wasn't really an engine tuner as such. He was an engine servicer. And, um, you know, you still had to buy your engines off, off somebody. And um, Neil had been um, dealing with this old old uh, German tuner called Otto Lantenhammer. Lanty. Um, and um, we said, I'll get a couple of engines off him. So I went and got some engines from him. So towards the latter end of 91, uh, the start of 92, obviously I'd been on these engines for, for a few months. And... Uh, yeah, everything just just clicked into place, you know. I I certainly felt during um, sort of nineteen ninety season all through ninety one that uh, I was improving, that I was winning bigger and bigger things. Um, I think the last the last step was probably um, getting the engines, uh, buying the engines from uh, Lanty in Germany, you know, and having like uh, you know really really fast engines. Fast tuning engines, no one and nobody else was going on faster engines than me, you know. Mm-hmm. Because I, I was always, uh, I was always very confident of my own ability, um, but sometimes that's not enough. Uh, certainly, the more, more and more in this day and age, I believe that it's down a lot of it's down to the engine. Um, back in my day, you know, I think a lot of it was still down to the skill of the rider. Um, but the you could see the eras coming of. Uh, the fast engines, you know, uh, the supersonic engines, and the people paid silly money to buy them. And, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. And and you were doing it on an upright as well in that time. Yeah, well, 
pre pre lay down. Yeah, yeah. So what year was it? Ninety six. Was that the year when we were all it's in about, one big league? Yeah, it's about then, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so we were all in one big. No, ninety five. Maybe ninety five. Ninety five was when they brought the lay downs in in the, in the Grand Prix. Yeah. So we were like, but you couldn't ride them in Britain. Yeah. So we were like riding riding all our all our matches on uprights, and then on a weekend trying to go out to Germany or Sweden or somewhere, try and ride this fucking lay down thing in the Grand Prix. And like we had no chance, absolute no chance. And it wasn't until we got introduced into into Britain um, that the lads even started catching up a little bit, you know. Um, but good old, uh, good old BSBA, never worry about uh, uh, young British lads on the world scene, eh? When he when he was going to come through the gates, more important. I think Mark Lauren was the first person I saw on a laydown at Bradford. I think he okay. was the fir- I think he was the first one I think to actually okay. to get one out. And whether whether right. he rode, he might have ridden it even after the meeting. Maybe it oh, was in that yeah, year. Yeah, maybe yeah. it was that year you're talking maybe about. Maybe he was practicing. Or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe he was practicing on the bigger yeah, tracks. Yeah, you could go to the track and like if you if you could get a bit of practice afterwards, so you'd be taking three and four bikes. So like the two that you rode in the fucking Megan and then the two laydowns. Yeah. Trying to you know get some setups in that goal, and within like ten minutes after a meeting somewhere, it was just. It was impossible. And um, as you said, you, you went through that uh, 92 season. You were the British champion, which was um, you, you retained the British championship um, in, in, in that I time. I think I might have won the, won the semi as well. Uh, overseas champion. Commonwealth first, Kingsley. Oh, Commonwealth, yeah. Yeah, I had a big crash, a big gosh, uh, the weekend before. I was riding the Polish League and uh, broke my hand, uh, you know, the... Um, Metacarpals, the ones that run from your knuckles to your wrist. Yes. I brought one of them in my left hand and uh, ripped on my shoulder open. Um, and I still managed to uh, <laughs> join top score there. Um, and then went out for a runoff and I was like, and it started raining. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, okay, just let, t- let him go, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I had third in that one. Uh, yeah, then I won the overseas. Yeah. That was when the Yanks come in at, at Coventry. Yes, I think I went to that. I think. Yeah. Then was it one more after the overseas? I was. I think after the overseas, I think went to the World Semi. Was it Intercontinental? Was that was that still a thing? No, that was that was years. That was was before. That was always the last one before the World. Yeah, yeah. Um, But they changed it to two semis. I don't know what year they changed it, but uh, yeah, there was certainly two semis. One was at Bradford, and one was God knows where. Fucking. Uh, Austria or somewhere right like that, you know what I mean? One of these fine uh, uh, spirit backwaters, <laughs> somewhere in a forest in Sweden. Yeah, so uh, yeah, let's say I was thankful I got drawn in Bradford. Yeah, that definitely will have helped. Um, and then, of course, the big one, uh, yeah. 1992 World Final, and uh, that was a Roslav, wasn't it? And it obviously was. that. Um, did that help you the the location? Because it's a I must say it's not the same as Bradford, but it's it's, it's a decent sized track, isn't um, it? Um, I I wouldn't say it really helped me or hindered me in a way. You know, obviously with riding at Bradford on a big track, it was good that, it, and that was the whole idea of one of the reasons we went to Bradford in the first place. You know, um, so if that was a if that helped, then yeah, great. Um, but. I saw many interviews and that people saying, "Oh, first world final, you know, it'd be great, great, um, you know, uh, experience and all that." As you said, didn't it? Your first world final, you go there for experience, and I was like, "Fuck that!" Excuse me, like, fuck that! I ain't going for experience. I'm going to win. Uh, I'd beaten every single one of them riders over several times in the league, so in my mind, there was absolutely no 
reason whatsoever why I couldn't meet him again. And there was no guarantee that you'd ever get to another world final. You don't know, no, do you, at no, that time? Absolutely not, no. Like I say, I, I always dreamed of being world champion. I never dreamed of being the best speed rider ever. don't know why. All I ever dreamed of was just of being the world champion. Um, I think that probably hindered me for a few years after I won it, maybe, you know, psychologically. Um, sort of thinking, oh, what am I going to do now? Like, you know. You'd achieved the aim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This dream that had, had been, you know, the last 20 years of my life uh, had been achieved at such a young age. But uh, ah, there you go. And how, how was it then? I mean, because through, through the course of that evening, obviously this was back in the days when it was a one-off world final. Everybody starts uh-huh. on, on yeah. zero and stuff. And, you know, it yeah. could be could be won and lost in, in, in one heat or, or not. Well, because depending what happens, it but... was because my first race, I was against Per Jonsson and I won it and he came last. <laughs> well, mm. that certainly uh, makes a difference, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. It makes Simple all as the that. difference. And like you look back to the fact that gate four was a massive advantage in them early heats there. And um I'd been drawn at number eight, which is heat two, gate four. Thank you very much. You know, another yeah. day, another track. It could have been fucking graveyard and I could have got filled in full of full of mud like Purdy didn't end up running the last, but uh, uh it is what it is. And then it started. It started raining. Then it come down thunder and lightning for about fucking half an hour, didn't it? And the track was flooded from, literally from the curb to about three quarters of the way out. The track was flooded. And uh, I remember Mitch Shearer, a couple of the other riders were running around the pit saying, "Like, why don't we just get cancelled? We we'll just get it cancelled. We'll all come back tomorrow and start again." And I was like, "Fuck that!" <laughs> Damn I've right. already done the hardest bit. It's beating Perm, my first ride, as far as I was concerned. <laughs> <laughs> Like my leg, my leg was hurting because a bike ran into me, and uh, but I was like, "Nah, let's go, let's do it. <laughs> We're racing." Yeah, race on, and uh, and then that that heat where it where it was all confirmed. I mean, you know, what were the emotions? Heat uh, yeah, heat seventeen. Yeah, and like you're up say, against Mitch Shearer in that heat, weren't you? I think. I don't know. I think I was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I only need the first or second um, to be certain, um, and. Um, I remember just before going out for the race, I remember nearly nearly being physically sick in my helmet. Um, there was just so much emotions going on. My mechanic, as we see me, my mechanic's hands shaking like a dog shaking razor blades, and <laughs> my dad shouting something in one ear, and Neil Evans shouting something in the other ear, and I'm thinking, I started spinning, I'm fuck, you know. And I was thinking, just, I wish you just open that gate. Finally, the gate opened, and I like, pushed off, and then sort of gave myself a proverbial slap around the chops. And uh, sort yourself out, and uh, I actually think that was the best start I've ever made. Um, in my last ride in the world final, um, it was off gate two, it wasn't one of the favorable gates. Um, but the uh, when they filmed it, they filmed it from the front, and normally from the front, you can't see when somebody's made a good start, you have to be sort of from the side. Um, but you could even see it from the front, you could even see it from the front. In fact, in this day and age, it was one of them that had probably pulled it back. You reckon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, at least they didn't. And and no. you, yeah, you made it a, a great start. You were definitely first to the the first bend, and then you were kind of like long tracking it, weren't you? Sort of down the oh, back well, straights. Yeah. Really funny actually, because uh, somebody put something on Facebook the other day, and because um, of all this talk about the way Smarzik rides his bike and that, and yeah. Like, oh yeah, the way he hangs off the back, his ass is over the back wheel. He's trying to get as much traction as possible, and I was thinking. I used to do that. Nobody says that. And then, was it? So, it might be even me and Peter Walks or somebody like that put someone on Facebook, apparently. 
uh, over the weekend about uh, uh, he wasn't the first, Harry was the first sort of thing. Oh, and yeah. A pi- picture of me and Vatslav long tracking it. Yeah, you sort of tucked in as yeah, you know yeah, as yeah. fast oh, as you can oh, go. Yeah, yeah well, it, this is like I've got to ride my bike the fastest, fastest I've ever ridden it ever. Yeah. So every last ounce of straight line speed, whatever, I was going to try and try and try and nick it. <laughs> and you, you said about crossing the finish line and and mm. sort of. The, not having sort of a, a massive amount of motion, you weren't punching the air no, and stuff like that. I didn't that. know whether I would have. I didn't know whether I'd have done a wheelie over the line. I punched the air. Don't do I didn't do anything. Mm. <laughs> I just rode over the line and then just put me put my head down on my handlebars and just like trundled round in a complete uh, whirlwind of emotions and feelings and just insane, really insane. And then you, you get to lift the trophy and all that. And, and when at what point does it really sink in? Because I imagine it's all like one of these occasions that sort of whizzes by and it's only like the days oh, afterwards yeah. where it, it yeah, sort yeah. of you think, whoa, bloody hell, what have I done? Mm-hmm. Well, I, uh, I remember I got picked for the drug test, as usual. And um, I remember it was that hot that I must have just sweated like every last bit of liquid out of my body right so straight afterwards they uh, told me about the drug test so I'm like i'm drinking water i'm drinking beer i'm just trying to get liquid forced into me took me about an hour over an hour to do it didn't it and uh then they were like you gotta come to the press conference mm-hmm. they've been waiting for you <laughs> so i've got took over like the press conference so i've got me got me leather tied around my waist in a knot right <laughs> <laughs> I've got a fag in one hand and a can of lager in the other hand. I walk into the press conference. There's about 150 people in this big room waiting for me. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, it was uh, yeah. To say it was bizarre it was uh, it was uh, understatement. I remember that you had like a, a homecoming thing, didn't you, at Bradford? Um, yeah. When and you paraded the trophy round yeah, and, and yeah, all this yeah. sort of stuff as well. That must have been a great oh, moment. Oh God, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, a, a, a lot of my fans who'd been with me for ten years at Bradford didn't actually get to go because mm-hmm. uh, it was difficult it was such a long way back then and only just come out of communism and stuff and um so yeah to, to bring the trophy home and to, to, to parade it around Bradford was, was special yeah that was a great day that it was mm-hmm. like an extra special meeting yeah. didn't I don't think you know the, the meeting was sort of inconsequential I think people were there just to see the to see you with the trophy yeah yeah it? I don't even remember it was I remember no. it was a big trike thing I had to sit on the back of yeah it? yeah yeah <laughs> yeah massive yeah um, so yeah, brilliant achievement. And how did that then change you sort of going forward? I mean, you, you said it sort of affected you, but did did that sort of um, raise you up in 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 the sport in general? You know, sort of around Europe and, and what have you? Um, I don't really think it raised my profile within the sport at all. Um, I'd like to think that I raised raised the, the profile of Speedway uh, by all the you know mm-hmm. all the. Um, invitations and stuff I was taking and be in magazines and on TV shows and, and stuff like this, you know? Yeah. Um, so although I got absolutely no help whatsoever off British Speedway, I'd like to think that uh, I uh, personally did uh, some good for British Speedway. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. It was a, a massive moment. And first time we'd had a British world champion for so long as well. You know, yeah, just... it was. Yeah, yeah. Um which, you know, anybody who's, who's followed my career <clears throat> knows how patriotic I am. And, um, you know, for me to to, to pull on a, a Union Jack 
race jacket, you know, whether it's representing your country or whether it's representing, you know, individually in a big meeting, mm. be still representing your country, you know. And um, to me, that was that was about as good as it got in the sport, you know. When I first rode for for England, it was amazing. Uh, but you know, when I rode, when I first time rode for England, when I was captain England, well, to me, that's it doesn't get any better in sport. You know, if you're a sports person in in, in in any sport anywhere in the world, to to captain your national side is is about as good as it gets for me. And uh, you know, I'll always treasure that. Was was that with, uh, with our great friend Eric Bucock? Yeah, some of it was indeed. Yes. yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, him and when I first when I got first got brought into the England setup, it was him and uh, Pratty. Yes, who were the who were the team managers, and uh, oh, we had some laughs. Oh, we had some laughs all around the world. Uh, <laughs> remember one time we were um, going to a, I don't even know where we were going. We were going to ride abroad somewhere, and it was it was in Italy. And um, me and Bowie flew from um, up north. And yeah. Pratty flew from down south, and he he was landing like half hour after us. So we like landed, get like organised a hire car and stuff. And then I don't know, I think it was my idea. I just got this big piece of cardboard, right? I got went in the shop and brought a black marker pen, and just wrote Pratt <laughs> <laughs> in massive letters, and I stood there waiting for Colin to come out, <laughs> uh, and then. Um, the last, the last official England touring team to go to Australia um, was us in the winter of um, eighty-seven, eighty-eight. That winter, um, we actually went as the official England Lions. Um, we had seven Test matches, and we did some individual meetings and stuff as well. And uh, and Eric was the uh, team manager on that, obviously with his connection with his brother Nigel, obviously being living over there. Um, so yeah, we had we had some fun on that trip as well. Roscoe turned the car over with the trailer on the back. I'll drive. I'm a lorry driver. I drive for hours, mate. <laughs> Hour and a half up the road, he turned the car over. <laughs> well, <laughs> so when do you hear to tell the tale? Um, but I wasn't in it. Sean Wilson oh, was. <laughs> oh, was he? Yeah, we were in the other car. Sean <laughs> Wilson was in that one. He, uh, he tells the story much better than me. <laughs> And, and Bowie, of course, was involved in Bradford as well. He was team manager at Bradford for you know a good yeah, amount of time. He was actually for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah actually. Now you've come to mention it because um, that um, documentary I was telling yes. you about. I mean, this this when we're talking about, um, I, I, I think plenty of people have mentioned about you know the pressures on speedway riders, and the biggest pressure is is sort of you know earning your money and all this kind of stuff. And this mm-hmm. this is the quote that I, I recall. Go on. At the end of the day, you, you've got a living to earn. If you don't score, you don't earn. And if you don't earn, I suppose you don't eat. And if you don't eat, you die. Yeah. <laughs> Speedway summed up in six seconds. Oh, priceless. <laughs> Absolutely priceless. <laughs> um, yeah, well, uh, see, that wasn't me. I never, ever, ever, ever went to the start like one second about money in my life. I don't think. Ever. Yeah, but the, the, in, that, in that documentary, though, you did finish second in your first race, and this was his uh, pep talk to you. Right. Just about to start there. You got stuffed out wide, covered in shit, couldn't see. And now you can't pass your partner. Because he's riding up inside, outside, every corner. <laughs> <laughs> so when they all came out, you just got three bikes stopped you dead. Uh, can't do a thing then. Then it's only one ride. Yeah. Went to town, isn't it? Don't you, Sam? 
see them. Like, these riders, these riders in this day and age don't know the ball like that was Bradford back in the day, right? When the smallest piece of shale was about ten mil. <laughs> yes. And there was no dirty practice. No, no. That's where men were men, I tell you. Yeah, I think I saw Hans Nielsen with a dirt deflector, I think, at Bradford. Right. That's the first time I saw oh, one. Okay. He, he was testing them out. Right, yeah, yeah. Sound about right. Yeah. But, but yeah, the shale used to come flying over because the yeah. the, the guys who, who raked the track at Bradford used to pick the uh, the tear-offs or the, the visors or whatever that right. had been discarded off and they'd like hand them to the kids at the front. Oh, really? Sort Brilliant. of save, yeah. your, uh, save your eyesight, kids. You know, here's, here's, a, here's yeah. a ripped-off tear-off. It's, there you uh, go. You know. If you're on the straights, it's not so bad, but if you're on the corner, you, know, you can get spread. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Go to my local track, now red car, right? And there's a, just outside the bar, on the back of the air fence, so facing the fans, there's a, a white sign about uh, 12 inches square, and it says, Caution, Flying Shield. <laughs> no. Yeah, no fucking shit. <laughs> I think I've seen that actually. I've been down a red car. I've seen the that. Most yeah. ridiculous waste of ink ever in your life. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the quirks of Speedway. Now, absolutely. Um, with um, Bradford closing, obviously you had to find other teams. I mean, you you rode for um, some teams on the continent as well, didn't you? You you were sort of um, yeah, big in yeah. Sweden. I mean, and... I was always right uh, as much as. A, could right since about 1991 90, 90, I think. Yeah, I've started riding abroad in uh, Sweden and Poland and stuff. Um, yeah, I've, you know, I've rode, um, God, I've rode for four or five teams in Poland and uh, probably three or four in, in Sweden. Um, but probably the most successful would be the period of uh, from 99 to about 2004 in Sweden with um, Masana. Yes. Yeah. Um, and there was myself and Tony Ricardson, Lee Adams. Um, there was a guy called Tony Casper, a Czech guy who, who died of a brain tumor since. Um, yeah. A young Antonio Limbank when he burst onto the scene at 16. And um, we had we had this car with the same team for about five years and uh, we did so well. I think we got, I think we won something like a gold two silvers and three bronze or something like that in a five-year period and um out when we won the when we won the gold in 2000 um our home leg was the second leg because they ran like tuesday wednesday uh we were away it was at uh rustigana the home leg mm-hmm. i think they had about seven thousand people there right and then the next night in harvester twelve and a half thousand people Wow, that's a big stadium. crowd. Yeah, biggest crowd I've ever had. And we we won the gold, and then we went on a kind of like open top bus round the round the whole of the town. I think every single person that wasn't at the stadium was out the house cheering and clapping on the streets. It was it was like we had a rock star. Yeah, I was going to say bonkers. rock star stuff. Yeah, yeah, it was bonkers, but like really good fun and uh, some good friendships formed. You know, I still still yeah, really good friends with Tony. Yeah, Cardson. Um, so. Yeah, it's all good. And um, for British teams, you, you spent a, a, a good deal of time uh, racing. Well, you, you raced at, at Eastbourne, uh, Peterborough. Well, I did, yeah. After Pool after Shot, I went to Eastbourne. That didn't yeah. really work out. They sacked me. And oh. then I went to Pool uh, in about August of that year, of, of uh, 98. And then uh, that was when Matt was the, was the team sponsor at Pool. He had a, he had a company called Herina, Hairdressing Salons. So they were when I went to Poole in uh, nineteen ninety eight. They were the 
Pearl Hair Arena Pirates. And it was in that winter when Matt and Mike, Matt Ford and Mike Golden bought, bought the club from, um, oh, I forget the guy's name, I had it before. But uh, yeah, because I remember I got friendly with Matt because he was the team sponsor. So all through the winter, we were talking on the phone and he was saying, oh, I said, Mike, there's a chance to be up by the speed here. What do you think? I went, mate, don't even think about it. <laughs> Anybody who puts their own hard earned money in a speedway club at this this current time is uh, is bonkers. And uh, thankfully, he ignored ex- everything I said. And uh, I guess otherwise, the um, the pool legacy that's happened since him and uh, him and Midlow came in might not have happened. <laughs> yeah, it worked out for the best in the end, though, didn't it? So, it certainly did. Yes, all good there. Certainly did, but um, you know, there's a lot of promoters could uh, take a leaf out of Matt's book. You know. Um, that makes it his number one concern, you know. To me, it just seems like a lot of speed riders are, have successful businesses, other businesses, mm. and they run speedway. Um, or, God forbid, a, a, a tax loss or whatever you want to call it. Um, and it, speedway isn't their number one, you know. It's just oh, if, it, if it goes good, it's all right. But you know, with Matt, he, he works hard and he makes it happen, and he got, gets the right people around him to make things happen. And uh, you know, that's why they've been so successful. Uh, and also, he's loyal, you know. Midlow, look how long Midlow's, when Matt took over in 1999, uh, he installed Midlow as a team manager, and, he, and he's been there ever since, you know. Yeah, it's been a great partnership, hasn't it, between them all. Yeah, it uh, And it uh, hopefully you can get involved in that next season, fingers crossed. Yes, yes. well, uh, <laughs> you know, Matt asked me, you know, are you still interested in doing the same? And I was like, yeah, 100%. So, uh, yeah, we might be able to... Uh, to put another string in me bow as the uh, as a, another manager. Yeah, and and you you've done some managing, haven't you, with with Coventry and uh, yeah, yeah, and Berwick and, and Berwick, uh, yeah, 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 and obviously uh, with Neil being the England team manager as well, and mm-hmm. um, you know with me riding for Paul, we've been from up, up all the way up north. You know, I used to stop over at Neil's quite a lot, so we got really friendly with Neil, and uh, Neil's a star man, he really is, and um, you know. He did a fabulous job as as England team manager, and uh, he does a great job as as uh, pool team manager. You know, but uh, Matt, Matt's the guy who picks the teams. Middle has no input whatsoever uh, in the team building. Uh, Middle just turns up on press day and goes, "Right, these are the guys I'm working with. Let's get it on." <laughs> Which so, is uh, yeah. amazing when you think about it. It is really. Um, this is Humans of Speedway. I'm Ian Brannan. Uh, my guest. In this episode, a Great Britain Speedway legend, legend of the Bradford Dukes, the Pool Pirates, many others as well, and not least Redcar, of course, too. Uh, Gary Havelock is my guest, and he's going to be choosing his all-time dream meeting uh, still to come before the end of this. Um, we need to pay a bit of attention, though, to the end of your racing career, though, Gary, because it happened um, in a way that you wouldn't have expected or, or indeed would have liked uh, with, a, with an accident where you were hit by a bike and... Um, that caused an injury that left you without use of of, uh, of your left hand. And um, talk us through mm-hmm. that and, and and what you had to go through because that that yeah. was obviously not the way that you would have liked your career to have ended on the track. No, certainly not. No, uh, it was bad. It was it was bad. It was really bad. There's nothing nothing good I can say about it. Hmm. Um, without going into too much gory detail, the whole thing was was really bad. We crashed and. Uh, I spent a couple of days in my local hospital, then they transferred me down to Leeds, and then I had like a couple of operations. And um, 
basically my left hand doesn't work. Um, I went back in in 2015 because my surgeon said there was this other thing they could do and get me get me elbow working and blah de blah de blah. We're going to take some muscle out my thigh and put it in there and then some nerves out my ribs from in between my ribs and do this Frankenstein shit. So I was like, uh, all right then. Like it got to 2015 and like I wasn't getting any improvement. I was like, right, let's try it. So I done that and then that was supposed to have been one operation, four days in hospital. And it, that turned into four operations, a month in hospital and nearly dying of sepsis. God. Yeah. It's not uh, what you want. And, and all for nothing because what they put in had gone all bad and they had to take it back out anyway. Mm. Um, so I'm yeah. at the position I'm at now. I'm in, still in constant pain. My pain is just depends on what level it is, you know, just on a random to try and explain to people if you put your pain on a, a nod to 10 basis, not being no pain at all and 10 being um, the worst pain ever. Um, right up until about six or seven, I'm, I can normally all right, I can function, I can do stuff, I can get on with it. If it gets above there, then I get, well, I can't do stuff anymore. I just have to like try and concentrate on taking a lot of painkillers and, 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 you know, getting right. But, uh, it is what it is. Uh, unfortunately, it happened and it's happened. And uh, would I change it if I had to change everything? I don't know. It's a very good question. Yeah, it's one of those. Um, you know, mm. unfortunately, it's it's the cards you dealt. It but, is, I mean, it you know, is. It, yeah, the... yeah. I mean, we all we all know the risk. You know, when we fling mm. our legs over these five hundred cc single cylinder methanol burning death machines um, that slide around the corners for other people's entertainment. Uh, we, we all know the risks and, um, you know, although it would have been really nice to get out in one piece, um, at least I've got out and I'm still walking and talking and, and I see my kids every day and mm-hmm. I can still drive and do this and that and the other. And, you know, I, I really feel for, and, and the other thing I think, at least I managed to have my career before I got injured. Yeah. Um, I always think of Dazzy Ward, God bless him, you know, I had so much to come, you know. He was going to be multiple, multiple times world champion. Um, and now he's in a wheelchair. Um, that's the sad side of Spiri, unfortunately. But uh, I guess um, you can't get one without the other. Yeah, it's 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 sad when it happens. It's definitely sad when it happens. Yeah, I mean, and, my um... accident, you probably watched, a lot of people probably watched the G, what's it, not the GP. I wasn't a GP, it was Polish League. It was Polish League just after the GP, and um, uh, you know with the Woofy crash? Yes, oh, yeah, the Niels Christian Yes, yes, I did. Yeah. yeah, well, that was pretty much identical to my crash. Come in the corner, somebody right on my chuffer, back wheel just let go, I did a 180, fell off, and the guy behind me rode straight over the top of me. Yeah, nothing they um, can do. Yeah. yeah, and he was saying he's a bit battered and bruised and that, but he gets up, mm. walks away. Oh, I don't. Uh, you know, and that's just millimetres, I guess. If it was, I always say, if it was, if it was a couple of inches one way, I might have just got away with a broken collarbone. If it was a couple of inches the other way, I might have broken my fucking neck. Yeah. And being a quadriplegic, uh, uh, what do you call it, a quadriplegic. Yeah. God Sa- bless. Same for uh, Niels as well, I suppose. You know, he's he's badly bruised and all that. And uh, I think he's got up. But... But his arms and legs would still work. Yeah, you yeah, know. yeah, but maybe maybe if he had the same crash again uh, on another day, it might not have gone that way. That's what I'm saying, yeah, yeah exactly. it's things, it's it? Almost identical type yeah. crash. I don't know, two different tracks and all that, but yeah, he mm. gets up and I don't. 
Yeah. The the used to be say when I first started, they used to say the worst crashes always seemed to be the apparently when uh, um, Alan Wilkinson got paralysed. Apparently that was an out of a crash. Yeah, the simplest ones, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. I've uh, I've seen one or two, and um, like you say, the spectacular crashes are never um, never yeah, usually that. Yeah, I'm always worried when someone slides off quietly and then doesn't get up yes. after it. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh... so that that was the other thing. You get these riders. I know they do it now. To obviously, so they bike and get back to the pits and get fixed and all that. But mm. um, me and Sean, me and Sean Wilson, we we always had our friends or family of some form with us. Yeah. So towards if we crashed, you, you know, the first thing you do is you crash, like move my head, move my arms, move my legs. Oh yeah, I can move everything. Yeah, you get up. Yeah. So that whoever it is, your family, even if your dad in the pits or your mum in the stands or your girlfriend or whoever sees, he's all right. Yeah. Well, you get some other riders who are like like they've like uh, grazed the little toenail and they stay on the track for like ten freaking minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a big ordeal, but hey uh, ho, hey ho, life. This is Humans of Speedway. Uh, that is Gary Havelock. I'm Ian Brannan, and, and we move to the section now, Gary, of uh, Humans of Speedway that we're doing every episode. And if you're listening to this one for the first time, then check out all the other previous episodes because I've asked the same questions to all the people that we've had on uh, in, in the previous uh, about this, about designing your dream Speedway meeting. If you could have the dream lineup, dream team riding for you, the dream opposition in the perfect stadium with the perfect referee with the perfect track how would it look and those are the questions we're about to ask and we're going to start by asking gary uh, which track would you have your dream meeting on not taking into account any of the facilities just purely the shale where are we racing on bradford well you've ridden it enough times yeah <laughs> Just because of the what the what's the attraction of it? Just because, because you it ride was, fast it, it, and yeah, because it, it was a big track. Um, it was also a wide track. Speed riders like wide tracks, you know. It, tracks that are really wide. If you get into trouble, you've got a bit of chance to get out of it, you know. Um, it was a wide track. Um, it was a fast track. It was banked. And in my my eyes, all speed tracks should be banked at least a little bit, mm. you know. Um, and. You know, it was the best pits. It had the best changing rooms. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was. You just had to watch out for uh, Paul Bentley walking around in them. That That's the, it. Yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, the stadium then that you'd put that track in. I mean, would it would it stay in Bradford or would it would you have that stadium with other surroundings? Be nice to think you could put it in Vauxhall. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. If you could, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's do that. What was the atmosphere like that night with, with you know from the crowd from that point of view? Oh, it was phenomenal. Yeah. yeah, it was phenomenal. I mean, although the majority of them were Polish, um, there was a, a quite a large contingency of English guys. You certainly knew where they were. They had flags and and and, and everything. Um, but I'm not sure how many was there. I think it was forty five thousand or something like that. Wow, it's a decent crowd. Uh, very good crowd. And I mean, when you look back to the days of PC and Ivan and that. I think they rode like in Poland when it was 100,000 people. Yeah. In some tracks. You know, yeah, it's massive. Mind blowing. Yeah. It's time to move on to the uh, the Havi all time dream team then, the the 1 to 7. Um, any rider, alive or not, no points limits. It's just a free for all. Your all time 1 to 7. Um, who's going to be number one? Per Jonsson. Yeah. Well, you, you and he had a lot of great battles. We did, we did, and uh, we never really knew. Even we never even really knew each other when before Pearl got injured, um, and 
about after he got injured, um, and it sort of it seeped out how bad he was, and that I was like, oh shit. Um, and I actually wrote him a letter. It was obviously back in the day. There was no phones or internet or texts or anything like that. But I got his address off somebody and wrote him a letter. And uh, apparently, um, he really cherished it, like you know. Oh, that's really nice. He just said that I know we were never friends, but we'd never met, and you mm. know, bloody bloody blah. Anyway, whatever. But what an amazing rider. Yeah. Uh, that guy probably kept his wheels in line better than anybody I can ever remember. He was fast, wasn't he? And Very fast rider. You know what I said earlier in the thing? Wheels in line equals speed. And and uh, I don't know if you saw, but they they um, they were marking uh, the world final, the nineteen ninety world final in Bradford. Right. Um, the sort of anniversary of it. Um, okay. The other, the other, I think it was a month or two ago, and they, they yeah, na- it would have been normally the end yeah. of August. Yeah, they, they, like, yeah. and they named a bus uh, Per Jonsson. Oh, wicked! <laughs> oh, awesome. Did anybody ever take a picture of it and let him know? I think you know. I think they've I think someone did yeah oh, and uh, and there's yeah. another one called Eric Gunderson as well for the Fantastic. 85 world final. Yeah 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 yeah. yeah. Look out for those. Um right. okay, who else have we got them? Uh I don't think anyone at 7 in the world could ever be right without uh, having this guy in it, Tony Cardson. Mm. Um what a rider. Again, a guy that I rode against for several years before actually really knowing him. Yeah. Um, it was only when I, when I, and it was actually by accident, me and Lee Richardson that year, 99, we signed for, we signed for Lynn Sherbin, a team in the second, in the, in the, in like the Premier League. Um, and, and that year, each, each track in that league had a, like a, like an adult track in, yeah. in the Elite League. Okay. If you like. So, and it just so happened that Lynn Sherbin's uh, parent track was Masana. So uh, they got in touch with me. Said, "Oh, do you want to? Would you fancy coming and ride for us?" And I didn't really know what's about. To be honest, I didn't really know <laughs> who rode from or anything. So I like went up there and, and rode for them. And uh, like you say, yeah, I stayed about five years. Uh, got to know the guys really well, and um, you know, got some lifelong friends out of it. Brilliant. Okay, so Tony Ricardson's on there. Um, mm-hmm. we're doing we're doing well with the Swedes so far. Uh, we are, aren't we? <laughs> who's, uh, who's next? Right, who's next is um, uh, Libidson. Of course, yeah. And, uh, well, we know, we know what happened with, with, with Lee at the end, of course, and something yeah, we've sort of previously... Yeah, really um, bit of sweet because it yeah. happened at Wroclaw. Oh, of course, yeah. 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 But, um, no, mate, I, I first got to know Lee when he came to Bradford in ninety nine. And uh, he was he was a real raw raw then you know uh, he'd been riding for Reading and John Davis had got him together and this that and the other and it was actually one of these one of these meetings we were riding on the in Thursday night in uh, Linköping in the Swedish Premier League and um, Lee had asked me if he'd qualified for the World Under Twenty One final at Voyant hmm. and uh, he'd asked me if I had anything on. And I was like, no, no, I haven't got any meetings or anything. And they said, like, has any chance you'd like come with me? So I was like, well, let me make some calls and that. And I was like, yeah. So we we, we got a lift from Sweden to, to Denmark and his mechanics turned up with the van and all that. And uh, um, he, he, he won. He won it. He won the World Under 21 Championship. And uh, I didn't even know this until years later when I was talking with Mrs. Um, was, and I remember that when we were walking, when we first got there, we, we said, oh, let's go have a look at the track. As we were walking, I was looking at the track. 
I just picked up this round, this like there was all like uh, pebbles and stuff around where the standing area and stuff. And I said, this like round pebbly thing, so I thought I'd pick it up. And we got out of the track, and I made up some bullshit about it being the lucky stone. Yeah. <laughs> and I gave it to Lee, and I like, obviously won the world under 21 championship. Um, so he kept this fucking lucky stone, eh, for the rest of his life, and he, and, he, uh, and his kids have got it now, apparently. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was like really touched me when I heard the story. It was like, oh, man. And uh, yeah, I had some really good times with Lee. And uh, again, Speedway, as amazingly rewarding as it can be, it could also be devastatingly cruel. Yeah. Yeah, well, certainly cool. It was a huge um, shock, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, yeah terrible, um, terrible mm. incident, and mm. um, yeah, very hard for everybody. Um, yes. Okay, so uh, Lee Richardson is in your all-time yeah. one to seven. Um, the next one, unfortunately, is going to have to be foreign again. Okay. Well, it's going to have to be Greg Hancock. Wow. Well, <laughs> you can't go wrong. I mean, Greg he rode can, in your he rode in your farewell meeting, didn't he? He did, and you know what, right? When he agreed to do that farewell meeting, right, when I was organising, came to a bike to ride and all that, and he went, Abby, do the favour, don't give me a number out to anybody. But I went, mate, I don't give anybody a number out to anybody. But he said, every man and his dog's trying to get me to do the testimonial and the, or, the, or the, this open meeting or whatever. And he says, fuck that. He says, I want to fly in, do your meeting and fly back out. He said, but whatever happens, mate, I'll be there. And uh, that was amazing. Like Some of the things, like, when it pissed down, I think it was about heat six, it absolutely hiked down for about 10 minutes. Mm. Like, they had to stop the racing, it rained that heavy, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that was in the bath, I like raced down the pits and that. And then we got all the riders together and everything. And I was like, look, lads, it's up to you. Yeah, the rain has stopped by now. Um, I said, obviously, it's be fucking farewell, mate, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I will completely understand if you don't want to ride, you know. Um, I've ended up fucking injured for the rest of my life. I said, don't want to see any of you. Every single one of them lads went, ah, oh, no, fuck it, we'll race. We'll ride. Oh, wow. That's it dedication. Was, it was amazing, yeah. It really was amazing. So, And a man who's won the World Championship four times and at the age of, was it 46? Greg Hancock. Greg, Greg Hancock's done things that not, I don't think any sportsman in any sport will ever do again. Yeah. Yeah, well, 46, and he was, yeah. he was racing beyond that, wasn't he, even? Yeah, so. oh, God, he raced beyond that, yeah. yeah. It was actually, you know, all right, people will, people will, you'll always get one freak who, who, who participates till late, till late in any spot. <laughs> but not to be the fucking world champion. Yeah, I know, he was just getting better and better, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Uh, amazing. amazing. Okay, so Greg is in. Um, yeah, and then, obviously, if Greg's in, um, this next guy has to be in. It was uh, uh, Massey Yanofsky. Yes. Yeah, he's sort of a little protege, isn't he? Um, Greg's of, of little Greg. protege. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's, there's a reason why he's in there, and it's not because of his speedway. Uh, unfortunately, I can't tell you this reason, <laughs> because he promised me not to tell anybody. <laughs> right, okay. So he's in there because he is one of the most amazing fucking human beings that cool. I've ever met, basically. All right, so that's five in your all-time team. Two more spaces left. Uh, where are we going next then for the final two? Okay, I'll fill the rest up with, with, with some with some Brits. Go on right. then. It's going to be hard this though because I've got like four Brits for two places. <laughs> you have to have a race off. Right, right. I'm going to put my mate in Andrew Silver. Yeah. Um. Again, a guy who before we met we actually disliked each other. 
Um, and that was uh, just from reading stuff about each other and hearing stuff on the grapevine. When we actually met, we just we realised we were really good, really, really good friends, and we've been friends ever since. Um, and he's going through a particularly tough time at the moment, so that's why he's in uh, one of the, the most underrated riders ever, you know. And to retire so young as he did and walk away, which is like, hmm. uh, I don't know. At the time, you think it's a waste, a waste of talent, but you know. Looking at me now and Lee Adams and Gollum and people like that, like maybe it's the fucking right thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But hey ho. Hey ho. And uh, last one then? Last one. Um, going to have to be Mark, in it? Mark Lorem. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, another Bradford teammate of yours. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Another guy I've known from Junior Grass Track, probably met when we were, um, well, probably when I was a teenager and he was 10 or 11, I would have thought. Wow, it's a long oh, time. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've been friends ever since as well. All the lads who grew up on the grass of our generation pretty much are all still mates. Stoney, Screeny, me, Mark, Chris Louie. Um, gosh, there's, there's there's probably loads more as well. I can think about Sean Wilson, Paul Thorpe. Well, we're not mates with him anymore, but hey. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, there was a big, there was a big load of them group at the same time. Now. Yeah, grass track was a big scene, wasn't it? I know a lot of yeah, well, riders came no, through there that. There was no junior speedway then, you know, which was a bit of a bit of a bummer, really, when you think about it. Because yeah. uh, we did one, we did one speedway meet in the year, and that was on Bellevue Hyde Road. Mm. And I used to look forward to it so much because it was like going from a bumpy, frigging bumpy, horrible field to this speedway track, which was like a billiard table. Yeah. There wasn't a ripple on it. It was just, it was just amazing. That <laughs> <laughs> was like, fuck grass track. I want to be a speed rider. <laughs> Mind made up. Yep. Okay. Um, so that's your one to seven, and all an awesome team there. Um, I don't think anybody's going to argue with that. Um, no. Best referee then, or your favourite referee, <laughs> if there is one. Uh, of the current, of the current, of the current crop, the only one is uh, Dave. Dave, 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 Dave. Robinson. Dave Robinson. Yeah. yeah. Um, of the older brigade, Paul Ackroyd was a good ref. He did my uh, testimonial at Bradford for me, and uh, we've been friends ever since. Um, and funnily enough, I actually used to I actually used to have no problem at all with, with um, the one everybody hated. What was he called? Oh, he was dead strict. Um, Frank? Frank. Frank Ebden. Yeah. See, I had no problem with Frank Ebden because Frank was like, the rules are, you don't roll at the start. If you roll at the yeah. start, you'll get a one, and then if you keep rolling at the start, you'll get a fucking fine. See, that was great to me with Frank. Rules were the rules, and you know where he stood. It was only the people who were trying to get cheap that I never had a problem with Frank because I used to sit still at the start. It was the rollers that used to have a problem with Frank. He used to get the fucking rollers, you know what I mean? But rules were, you're not supposed to roll, so why not? Yeah, when I did um, the one with Shane Parker, he said that Frank Ebden would definitely not be uh, refereeing his. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think he had a problem with Fat because he did, he got through every, the meeting so quick. Everybody had a problem with Frank. Everybody had a problem with Frank. But like I say, I, I never had a problem with Frank because most of the time he was always down south. And the fact that he got the meetings over quick, that was all right because we had so fucking far to go home. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? We didn't, we didn't mind that. <laughs> if you were going to change one rule, what would it be? Oh, God. If, well, yeah, anyway. I, 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 would, I would install myself as Speedway Sar. 
<laughs> and solve all of our problems. Speedway czar Gary Havelock is uh, is in command of the sport. That's the that's, that's great. You, you, that's a good way of looking at it because you get to change lots of rules with just the one there. So yeah, uh, absolutely. Great. And um, if we're going to pick one team, any team from all time to race against your All Star One to Seven, uh, what what would that be? Which team? Which year? Oh God, uh, I'd have to say the, the the England touring team, the last England touring team that went to Australia. All those lads. We yeah. beat the Aussies uh, 5-2, five test matches to two. And it should have been 6-1 because they cheated in the first one. So, yeah, I put that team. Wow. England Lions. The England Lions as the opposition at Bradford, at Bradford. Um, with the with the Roslav facilities. That's it. <laughs> I'm sure it'd Imagine. be a great uh, great meeting. Well, yeah. thanks very much, Gary, for, for taking hey, no the time and, and speaking to us. No it's been great. And uh, No problem, Ian. I hope, I hope, uh, hope the people enjoy uh, my, my uh, tales. They were all the good ones that I could repeat. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to do an after nine o'clock one someday. Uh, well, yeah. Man. Yeah, we'll have to do one in... Um, I, I have like, a... Did you see that one they did with the comedians where they got them drunk? I'll tell you what, like, X-Speed riders get them drunk, you'd get some absolute crackers. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one for future. I'll get the lawyers on standby. Uh, look, uh, Gary, have a look. It's been a pleasure speaking to you, and, and thanks for joining us on this episode of Humans of Speedway. Hi, mate. No problem. You take care. My thanks to Gary Havelock for joining us on this episode of Humans of Speedway. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I uh, enjoyed chatting to him. It was sort of a bit of a, a bit of a fanboy experience, really, for me. But it, it was uh, it was great chatting with Gary, and hopefully we'll see him uh, back around the tracks next season in his uh, new role as being uh, sort of assistant manager for Pool. Don't forget, if you're new to Humans of Speedway, well, first of all, welcome along. We have plenty other episodes for you to check out. In fact, uh, there are eleven by my reckoning. Uh, we've got chats with Phil Morris, the race director for the Speedway Grand Prix and Speedway of Nations series. How about a trip inside the referees box with Chris Derno talking about what they get up to. Uh, Shane Parker, Peter Oakes, Neil Machin, Nigel Pearson, Scott Nichols, among some of the names that you can check out uh, chats with in our series. And um, if you want to get in touch, then please do as well. You can drop us a line through social media on Facebook. You just search for Humans of Speedway. And we're on Twitter at Speedway Humans is the place to go follow us there to get um, preview clips and find out all the news of uh, upcoming episodes and stuff like that first of course if you have enjoyed it the best thing that you can do is just to tell your friends who are also speedway fans as well if they might enjoy it spread the word maybe give us a rating and a review too wherever you get your podcast that would also be uh, amazing and we'll speak to you next time on the next edition of humans of speedway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.